your heart, clear your mind, and prepare uh, for, for the word of God. And, and I'll close this out, and then we'll begin. Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And Father, we came here this day to praise you and to worship you. And Father, soon, soon this house is just going to praise you and rejoice in you. We are learning how much to, to appreciate the things that you do in our life and how that your word we see your heart revealed to us in your word. And every week I'm seeing more and more of pointing to rejoicing and joy to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to see that word today come in. And I, when I looked it up and I got the background of the word, and it just, just thrilled my heart to see what it meant. But it, what it does is it explains to us what, what you want us to be like when we come together to worship you. And so, Father, help us to be joyful. Help us to shout out loud to you and praise you for the glorious God that you are. And, Father, I'm going to pray this day. <laughs> I'm going to pray this day that your Holy Spirit's going to appear. And to be here with us this day to anoint the hearts of those who do not know Christ as of yet. And to those who still have some doubt. And to those who need more reassurance that you are real. And that Jesus was real and that the cross was real. And so Father I pray that that opening of the heart and the eyes to be able and the ears you know, every time the Lord taught something important, and especially to the seven churches in Revelation, every time he'd say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And so, Father, I pray that our ears spiritually and our spiritual eyes would be open this day to understand the glorious facts that are in your word that you are revealing to us this day. Father, we praise you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessings that come to us through him. Forgiveness of sin. For the covering of our life. For acceptance and now the power to become the sons of God. Through faith in him. And so Father I pray that you not only bless this worship service. But may our worship and praise to you. Be something that is acceptable in thy sight Father. And we ask this all in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Zechariah chapter 9, if you want to turn there with me. Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. Whew. Boy, I never cease to be amazed at where the Lord leads us each week in the study of His Word. You know... I went back and counted, and it was 12 weeks ago that we started in Zechariah. And I can remember 
when I, I started it and it was laid on my heart, it was like, I don't know why, but there's a reason, there's a purpose, and so we're going we're gonna to go through this. And then all of a sudden, all of these wonderful things started coming out. But I had absolutely no idea that 12 weeks ago we would be on this exact passage on the exact weekend that we celebrate. It may not have been the weekend that it was in Jesus' time, but this is the exact weekend that this passage is written about. And I'll tell you, you can't make that stuff up. He puts us in position each week for what we need to hear and what will reach out to us. This speaks to us. Have you ever wanted to know the exact way and the exact day that God would present Jesus as the Messiah, as the King to the world so that we might believe in Him? How about that? Well, we're going to discover that today. So if you would, go ahead and turn there to Zechariah chapter 9 and and that will be our launching pad for today. I won't stay there long, but, but we're going to read those scriptures because it's what we're going to focus in on this day because the world calls this Palm Sunday. It calls it the Sunday, the triumphal entry is what it was. It's the day that Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on that donkey and was getting ready to go to the cross that week and to raise from the grave by the power of God and the Holy Spirit next Sunday. So... This is that week. And that's what this scripture is. And last week we set it up in chapter 9 because it talked about the heavy burden of the word of the Lord on us. And you know what that was? The heavy burden of the word of the Lord is that for those who believe is salvation, but to those who fail to believe and those who keep rejecting that word, that there's a burden that's out there. Because that decision on Christ is the only decision that you will make in this lifetime that has everlasting rewards or consequences. Jesus said, He that believeth in me shall see life. But he that believeth not in the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So faith in Christ Jesus is the only thing that separates us from eternal life and eternal separation and punishment from God. So that is the heavy burden that we carry with everyone. Will you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and be saved? He brought salvation with him. That burden of the gospel was with us. It was with Paul. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. He was telling those Corinthians there, he says, Moreover, brethren, I want to declare something to you. The gospel that I preach to you, which you received, which... If you stand in it, you will also be saved. Hold fast to that word that I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all, how that, that which I had received. And I was like, what, Paul? What did you receive? What was it that you received that you wanted everyone to know? And he said, this is it, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. You know, we always talk about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it says that it was for our sins. If it wasn't for our sins, it wouldn't have been worth nothing, would it? But because of that, it was for our sins that it was according to the Scriptures, as we are going to see in a moment, that He went to the cross, that He was buried, that He arose again that third day according 
to the scriptures. Everything is documented with constant proof from the word of God that is infallible, inerritable. There is no mistakes. Those are powerful words that he wrote right there to them. The words of eternal consequences. And our message in Zechariah has been pointing right to the Lord Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem. And it was 1990 years ago to die on that cross according to the scriptures. Now this chapter in Zechariah 9 is outlined with, with three sections in it. We had verses 1 to 8 last week. And that was calling all the other nations to repent. Israel has begun that process. They were trying to go back to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the wall. But there were lots of nations who did not know God, who did not respect the word of God. And so the heavy burden of the word of the Lord was to them to to repent and to respond in a positive way to the preaching of the word of God. Then where we're at this week in verses 9 and 10, that will be our beginning point, talks about the prophecy of our lowly Messiah. How he will come to save all of us from the burden of our sin. And that he will arrive on the scene in his first advent to earth. And then in in verses 11 through 17, the finishing of the chapter, it's the purposes and plan of God for his kingdom. And did you know, as we began with, that God gave specific details to those prophets of old and for us to have as justification of faith and he produced who was coming, what, when, and how his son, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, would be revealed to them and now to us through the word so that they would absolutely know for sure on that day that this, as the Roman soldier said, was certainly the son of God as he stood there at that cross. You know, the plan of salvation was completed At the end of those three hours of darkness when Jesus was judged for our sins upon the cross and whenever it became light and whenever things was preparing for him to go on and and give up his spirit, he said one word in the original in in, uh, John 19 and verse 30. He said, he shouted out on that cross after the judgment that he had went through after three hours of excruciating pain, feeling The judgment of my sins and your sins and the sins of the world upon him. He felt the heat of those sins and that pain upon him. And when that was over and the sun came back out and the sky was lit from the darkness, he screamed out one word, Tetelestai! And Tetelestai we translate as, It is finished. The work on the cross was finished. And that was a spiritual death. Not his physical death because he's still alive and talking. He died spiritually on the cross first for us and faced that so that we might live. And then in Luke 23, 46, he cried with a loud voice, Father, into thine hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, it says he breathed his last and his physical body gave up his spirit back to God. Praise God. Amen. That was what happened for us. And then that Roman soldier, as I said in Matthew 27, 54, said, Truly, this is the Son of God. 
And so the arrival of Jesus, though, for that week and going to the cross happened the week before on a Sunday. It was foretold exactly as it would happen by both Zechariah and Daniel. It was revealed, and we're going to find that out today, the exact way, the exact day that the Lord would arrive as the King of Peace. You know, we're going to find out they wasn't looking for him to be the King of Peace. They're going to look for him to be the warrior king that's going to free him from Roman rule. And that's why they continued to have their eyes closed. They didn't want to accept him as the lowly king who was coming to die for our sins first and to bring peace and to remove the bondage that stands between you and I and God. Are you ready to uncover that plan and see that day and time and way? Well, let's get cracking. And if you're with me there in Zechariah 9, we're going to go down into verse 9. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, and he is just, and he has salvation, and he is lowly, and he's riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion will be from sea to sea, and from the river even to the ends of the earth. Son, I'm going to explain to you what I learned about the power and the beauty of that very verse right there. First of all, that very first word, rejoice. Rejoice. It's the word gilly, which was from a word called gil or ghoul. just depends on if it was a noun or a verb. And what it means is to not just, we, what do we think of when we rejoice? I want to I see you just for one moment, okay? I want to I break this up for a minute. I want to just see you for one moment, just rejoice. Just, how do you rejoice? Praise God, right? You don't want to know what the word means? Jeff, how'd you react when the Bears won the Super Bowl with McMahon? <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you something. Have you, who watched the national championships of basketball that was going on? Who, did you watch the final games or any of the games when it was a close game and all of a sudden the winning shot goes in and the buzzer goes off? What does those players start doing? Yeah, you ever been a kid and got like the most wonderful thing that you've ever thought in your life? What did you do when it was given to you? And you know what this word means? Not only to jump up and down. I'm going to share something with you. I probably shouldn't. I'm going to share with you being a Raiders fan. Tom, you, you're going to remember this, okay? Because I found out, you know, Tom's a Raider fan too. Um, back whenever we were playing the Patriots to go on, and that Brady fumbled the ball, and we recovered it, and that meant the game is over. I'm ashamed to tell you how I acted. <laughs> I rejoiced greatly. I actually did two or three cartwheel rolls on the floor 
just rolling, standing up. Yeah, I was doing all this, spinning around. And then all of a sudden it went, oh, wait a minute, there's a review coming. And I just knew. Because the NFL does not like the Raiders. They didn't like Al Davis. And so I thought, this, this is going to be bad news. And um, so it came back and it said, oh, it was the tuck rule. And they, they spent 10 minutes explaining what the tuck rule was. There, it was a fumble. But the officials overrode it. And all of my greatly rejoicing. And the word means to spin around uncontrollably in joy. To, to just violently be doing this kind of thing because you're overjoyed. You know, when David was bringing back the ark and the first time it rolled and the guy touched it and he died and he couldn't understand what happened, he went back weeping and angry with God and what's going on? He found out he wasn't doing things according to the word of God. And they said it's supposed to be not on an ox cart, but carried on the pose and never touched. So they went out and tried it again. And the priests put the poles in and they picked it up and they started walking. And after about six or seven steps, they set that ark down. And everybody started rejoicing. Because God now was telling them that I'm blessing you because you're doing it the way I told you to do. And as they marched that in, it says David was dancing. He was spinning around. And I played a song about three years ago that showed, I want to dance like David danced. You remember that? I, that's, that's what God is saying to you and I about worship. That when we come together to worship Him, why does it say in the Psalms that you're going to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise? He... Do you know he enjoys seeing you and I acting all giddy and foolish like that because of what he's done for us? He wants us to show the world that, he is so, that we are so excited for what God has done for us. He says, rejoice, not just spinning around uncontrollably, but that next word, ma'od, means exceedingly abundantly above all like when it says that we're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think through Christ Jesus our Lord that's this word rejoice greatly why O daughter of Zion why do you shout O daughter of Jerusalem because behold thy king cometh that should make you shout and rejoice and spin around because the thing that separated me from my God and caused me to be banished away was getting ready to be done away with. The king is coming to take away sins. The king cometh unto thee and he is the one that is just and he has salvation. He's bringing salvation when he comes. But he's not going to be how you think he's going to be. You think he's going to be the knight in shining armor riding in on the white horse. Hey, that comes in the second advent. <laughs> the first advent, he's going to come lowly riding upon an ass. And not just that, but a colt, a foal. One that's never been ridden before, this young one. And he says, I'm going to cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the horse from Jerusalem, and break the battle bow. You know what that means is? He's not going to be the warrior this time. 
the, the chariots are tanks. Remember that? And the horses are like Humvees. And the battle bow is like missiles and, and bullets. So he says, I'm not going to be the one of war this time. I am not the king that's coming of war. I'm cutting those off. I'm going to speak peace. And you know what? And to the heathen, that was to us, to you and I, those who were outside of the realm of God and also outside of the realm of Israel too. He says, I'm going to bring peace unto you. And what's that peace? That's not no war. What he's talking about is a spiritual one, salvation. I'm going to bring peace between you and God. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says that he brought peace and reconciled us to God. So that's what he's getting ready to come. And, and his reign is going to be in his dominion around the world to you and I. So that's what he's going to be like. The way that he was going to come. The exact way was foretold by Zechariah 9.9. That he is going to come in lowly. Riding upon an ass, and it won't be in war. So we know now the exact way that the Messiah of God, that the King that will come to bring salvation to you, you will see him come in this manner. Isn't that amazing? That's God's way. That wouldn't have been my way. There had been a light show and fireworks and all kinds of stuff, wouldn't there? And we had to put on a power display. You know, we always like to have those jets rolling through, don't we? We like to have all that display of the Air Force going across and bombs going off. Now he says, it's going to be a lowly thing. But the people didn't want to accept that. Now you want to see the exact day? There's the way. You want to see the day? Okay, go from Zechariah 9 to Daniel 9. Turn over to Daniel chapter 9. And if, not, you, if you can see that, you can follow along. I wanted to put it all up there, so I hope you can see it. The last half of the book of Daniel is filled with all kinds of colorful visions and the exacting prophecies of God to show that who and what God is, to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. You cannot deny who God is because everything that he has said in his word has come exactly true. So he says, you can tell that I am God from everyone else because I foretell what's going to happen, and it happens. No one else can do that. And in Daniel chapter 9, what we find here is Daniel's in prayer. He's in a solemn, hearty prayer. You know why? Because he's been reading the Word of God. And even a man like Daniel, after all of these years, is finding something new, just like we're finding something new. At least I did. You may have already known this stuff. But in, in Daniel 9, we see that he's been reading the scroll of Jeremiah the prophet. And he's been reading that. And he saw in there that God was appointing 70 years in this desolation of Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, because they had failed to honor God with uh, the seven-year Sabbath of not planting anything in the land every seventh year and letting it rest unto God. And so because they failed to do that, for 490 years, 70, 70 different times, then for every time they failed to do it that year, God caused them to be separated into captivity and bondage in Babylon for 70 years. And when, when, when Daniel's reading that, he's like, man, we're going on year 70. It's time for God to return if this is right. And 
he started praying, asking for the forgiveness of his sins and the sins of the nation. We have sinned, and I realize now why we've been here and what's going on, and forgive all of us for all that's been happening. And it says that while he was pleading for God's mercy to hear him, and please forgive me for thy great name's sake and thy city's sake and thy holy mountain, which is Jerusalem and Zion. And uh, he said, Hear, O God. And while Daniel was yet praying and confessing its sins, his sins and the nation's sins, it says in verse 21 that this one that looked like a man, it was an angelic messenger of God named Gabriel, touched him. You know, every time you see Gabriel come near, he's getting ready to tell you something about Jesus and about Jesus coming. He's going to come to uh, Mary. He's going to come to Zechariah in the New Testament, John the Baptist's father. And each time he's telling them about Jesus is coming. And so he comes here to, to Daniel and he taps him on the shoulder while he's praying. And he says, guess what? The Messiah is coming. I got, a, I got some news to share with you. Now look at verse 22. Take this to heart. Because this is where I started really hunkering down and praying. Because in verse 22 he says, O Daniel, I have now come forth to you to give you skill and understanding. In other words, what I'm getting ready to tell you is one of the most important things that you've ever heard. And I want you to record this. And I want you to share it with everyone. And this is going to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is the Christ. And when he comes, that you will know exactly when he's come. This way you will have skill and you will have understanding to know what is happening in that day when it comes. And so Daniel says, okay. So in verse 24, he says this. He said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision, the prophecy, and to anoint the Holy One. Now, 70 weeks. This is something that all of the end time preachers are always talking about and they're always focusing upon. And I want you to just see a couple of facts about it first off there um, verse 24 70 weeks are determined for who H whose people thy people who is thy people in this scripture the Jewish nation this is the Jews so this is all about them right now and 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city so this is about Jerusalem and the Jewish nation and it's all about because, you see, they've been rebels and transgressors. And just like me, they had all kinds of sin. And so now he's going to, it's going to take 70 weeks to go through this process of reconciliation and to take up and for the vision to be done, the, the prophecy to come about. It's going to happen through what they called 70 weeks. Well, I want you to know that the word week is not there. Whenever, whenever it says, it's, we're going to talk about in a minute also, a seven week and a 62 and, and this 70. It does not ever use the word week in there. This says 77s. You see, everything in God's calendar and in God's timing runs around sevens. 
We like to make it around like decades. We always talk about the decades of the 20s, the roaring 20s, you know, the, the, the 60s, the 70s. We, we make it in decades. See, God's calendar was on seven-year cycles. How many days are there in a week? <laughs> yeah, and, and so God's calendar was in seven years. You would go, the seventh year would be a Sabbath year, and you would start over. And you'd go six, and the seventh year was a Sabbath, and you'd start over. So God's years were different, and the way he told time. We've also saw that God tells time that evening and morning is day one. It doesn't start at midnight like what we do. It starts dusk at six o'clock, starts evening. It starts a new day. And it runs evening, morning, until the next one, and that was day one, day two. God has a different process. His calendar is only 360 days in a year. It was 12 months with 30 days in each month. And the, the different people throughout history, the different nations wanted to change that. They want every March, every April to be the same. They don't want it moving a little bit and going through cycles. So we added... 31 days to some months and a leap day every fourth year and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so we get out of whack with what God's calendar is. And I think the devil wanted that on purpose and made those uh, Roman Gregorian calendars to be different so that we couldn't tell God's time and be on God's schedule. But God's schedule was different. And so 77s, and they knew that to be years. So this is going to be 70 times 7 of years that's going to happen. So it's 490 years are determined for the Jewish people. 70 divisions of 70 that's going, of 7 that's going to happen. And then he says to finish all of these things. And then what else, Gabriel, what else? Look at verse 25 at the amazing prophecy then that surrounds this. So that we will know when Messiah is coming. He says no therefore. So there we have it again. Just like Romans 8.28 where he says no. That God is working. He, God wants us to know the scriptures. I'm going to give you something he told Daniel. For your skill and understanding. I want you to know therefore. And understand. That from the going forth of the commandment. To restore and build Jerusalem. Unto who? The prince or the king, the one who is the son of the king. This is the son of God, the Messiah that is coming, the prince. Messiah, the prince. That from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build. Now, here's something. If you go to be a Berean and check me out on this. There was four decrees that was given. The other three was for the temple. It was not for the city. <laughs> so you have to go from the one that was for the city, not for the one that was from the temple. So, because it's to the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem. And that only happened one time. And that's how you can know the exact time that that starts. Until the Messiah, the Prince, will be seven-week period. And then a three-score and two-week. And three-score means 60. A score is 20 weeks. So, three-score is 60 and two. So, you got 62 and a seven which is 483 years. So from the time of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem that goes out until the revealing of Messiah the king, the prince, will be 483 years. The streets 
shall be built again, the wall, even though it's going to be in troublesome times. And then after that second period, after the seven week will be the three score and, and uh, two weeks, then after that period and you, he's revealed, Messiah will be cut off. You know what that means? He goes to the cross. So he's going to be revealed as your king, and then you're going to take him to the cross, and it's not going to be for himself. Why? Because it was for us. So, you want to figure this out a little bit? Got the calculator out because my brain ain't really that smart. 483 years is 173,880 days. So we've got to take 173,880 days from the moment that the commandment goes out to build and restore Jerusalem. How are we going to find that out? Glad you asked. Didn't someone say the word of God? Okay, let's go to the word of God. Nehemiah tells us. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we get introduced to Nehemiah. And it says that the words of Nehemiah, and it came to pass in the, the month Chislu in the 20th year. So we're going to find out that this is in the 20th year of something. I was in the palace. And this guy comes, one of my brethren, he had went back to Jerusalem. And he's come back and brought me word of what it's like back home. And the word that he brought me of what it's like back home was terrible. He told how that the, that the walls were tore down, the gates were tore down, everything was burned with fire. The weeds is going everywhere. Everything is just terrible. And it says that Nehemiah said, my heart, just melted I was so saddened and sick about what had happened to my homeland and that was a problem because it goes on to say that he's a cupbearer for the king and so whenever you turn the page and you go into chapter 2 of Nehemiah it says it came to pass in the month Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king so now I think we're starting to get to a starting point don't you because we got Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and it's in the 20th year of his reign that Nehemiah the cupbearer was going to take him wine and give it to the king. I'd always been there before time in his presence, but this time I had never been in his presence sad. And this time I came into his presence sad. And the king looked at me when I brought him his cup and he said, Jeremiah, what's, or Nehemiah, what's the matter with you? Something's going on with you. Why is your countenance down and sad? Are you sick? Uh, you, it, you don't look sick. I see that you're not like sick sick. This must be something of the heart. What's going on? And then he says, I was very afraid. I was so afraid. You know why he was so afraid? Because he's the cupbearer. You know how they like to murder the enemies of the king? How they like to murder the king? poison and so you know what the job of the cupbearer was yeah so see the cupbearer what he does is he brings the cup and the food out and he takes the first bite and the first drink doesn't he you know why because if anyone's going to get poison you're the guy you're going to get it and you see he's done that for a long time you become trusted you become a friend of the king 
Because your life is really on the line for him, and he knows that. And by doing those things, you are saving his life by risking your own life. And so, if you, the first time he now has come into the king with a sad face, what might the king be thinking? This might be tainted. This might have some poison, and he knows it. Look at the expression on his face. So Nehemiah was so afraid, and he begins to just blurt out. He didn't want to tell him. He was trying to hold it back. But now, it could be off with his head. So he says, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and spill the beans. And he said, O king, may you live forever. In other words, there's no poison. <laughs> I want you to live forever. Okay, let's, let's take that out of the equation. And, but how could I not be sad? Because my family's home and the place where the tombs of my forefathers is, it has been burnt down by the Babylonians back then 70 years ago. It is all beat up, run down, grass growing everywhere. And I got word back and my heart's just sick. And he says, well, Nehemiah, look at verse 4. The king said unto me, what dost thou make as a request? Hmm. Wide open. That's how much he loved and trusted Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was a smart man. What did he do? Prayed. He didn't just blurt off something. He asked the Lord for guidance. You know what the Lord told him? Get me that next slide. Verse 5. So I came back and I said to the king. Put these back on. If I found favor in your sight. Would you find favor to send me back to the land of Judah to the city of my father's tombs that I might build it and the king was there with the queen sitting by his side and he said Nehemiah how long will you need to be gone and when will be thy return and so Nehemiah said a time for the king now notice verse 7 he asked for letters Nehemiah was smart he said the Lord had moved his heart. You see, this is all the working of the Lord. He was put in the proper place for the proper time so that all things are going to work together for good. But not only that, you and I and the Israel and the world will know the exact moment that Messiah came to prove who and what he is. And he says, could I have letters? Could I have a decree that you are saying that I have permission to go back and to rebuild the city so that as I travel through the lands, the governors that you've established in those lands will know that I'm on official business from you and they won't try to prevent me from rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. This will be the king's decree. Verse 8, the word of God that lives and abides forever records this for you and I and the world to see. The king granted it to me according to to the good hand of God that was on me. And I just wrote, wow. Wow. God put him there, put it on his heart to get a decree, and the king gave him his decree and told him to go and build the city. Verse 9. And when I would come to the governors beyond the river, I gave them the letters from the king that was signed to restore the city. And take me back one slide, backwards. It came to pass when... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes of Persia. You can go to Encyclopedia Britannica. 
You can go to Wikipedia. You can go to any one of the, the encyclopedias or the things that records history. You can go to Google. You can ask Siri. You can say, tell me about Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. This is Artaxerxes Longimanus. And it will say that Artaxerxes Longimanus was the king of Persia from 465 B.C. to 425 B.C. So that puts 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes at 445 B.C. in the month of Nisan. And according to our calendars, that would have been, I've got it wrote down here somewhere. See if I can find it. Because I think it was March 6th of four, March 14th, 445 B.C. was when that was signed by Artaxerxes the king on Nehemiah's behalf as the decree to build the city and the walls. Just as the decree of Gabriel told Daniel that there would be a decree that would go out to build the city from that day forward, you can count out 69 sevens or 483 years and at 360 days per year it was 173,880 days and brothers and sisters in Christ if you take it by God's calendar and not our calendar because you're going to come up a couple years short if you do it by our calendar like I said we added days leap years leap all kinds of things if you take it by God's calendar 173,880 days later would have been April 6th, 32 A.D. Guess what happened on April 6th, 32 A.D.? What we read in Zechariah chapter 9, that the Lord came riding in on the foal of an ass into Jerusalem, hailed as the king, the Messiah, the king of peace that was coming. On the exact day. What was Gabriel and God's margin of error? Zero. He had zero. From the decree to the day. Would be exactly 69 times the sevens of years. Four, 483 years. To that very day was the day that Messiah came riding in. Go ahead, give me the next slide. It was this one here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, for thy king cometh, having bringing salvation. Okay, you want to see that happen? Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 21. And like I said, all of these were in the Berean chapter, so I hope you just go and read them this week. For clarification on this. Matthew 21. Jesus begins his ascent. And his royal entry. Into Jerusalem. The city of God. He comes through Bethphage. Which means the house of the figs. And through Bethany. And unto the Mount of Olives. And he called two of his disciples. Together on his behalf. And what does it say in verse 2. Somebody tell me what it says in verse 2. I have to tell you, 
that when all of these scriptures started coming together that I was crushed yesterday. God told Zechariah how he was going to do it. God told Daniel when he was going to do it. Why? As John ends his book, it says, so that you might believe and know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And on that very day, he tells his disciples to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah. Go to the village and find the ass and find the colt that's tied and bring him to me. And if anyone asks you what you have need of him, tell him that the Lord has need of him and straightway he'll let you have it. And this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet. Tell daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh. Here he comes for you and me and for Israel. He was coming across the way and the disciples went and did what Jesus asked them to do. And they went and got it as he commanded them. And then it says this in verse 7. That they brought the ass and they brought the coat. And they were putting the clothes on him so that he could sit. And then the multitude spread their garments in the way. And other ones was cutting branches and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes went before. And they that followed crying, Hosanna, which means save us. To the son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Save us, Hosanna, praise God in the highest. What did God tell him back then? Rejoice greatly. Dance and spin. Why? Your king cometh. And he's bringing salvation with him. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And he came into Jerusalem and the city was moved. But you know what the multitude said as they was doing that? What does verse 11 say there when they ask about who's this? The multitude said this is Jesus who? What did they fail to recognize him as? King and Messiah. The king and the Messiah that was coming bring, bringing salvation. Just the same as a lot of pagan religions today will say, oh, he was a prophet. You know, that's what it says right there. He's a prophet. No. He's God's king. He's the Messiah. They didn't recognize him as such. And you know what? That moved him to tears. He couldn't take it. Turn over to Luke 19 with me. This is the same story but from Luke's version. And there's a whole lot going on here. In Psalm 118, they sung this twice a year. And this was one time that they sung it. They were singing the wrong song. They were singing the, the end of the song that talks out of the psalm that talks about the Messiah's second coming as the war king. And that's what they're trying to make him. They, they're wanting him to rise up against Roman rule for them and to release him. And God told them the first time he's coming lowly, bringing salvation on the foal of an ass, the colt. And so they didn't recognize him. They want the king, they want the crown before the cross. The cross comes before the crown. So they forgot that he is the king of peace, bringing salvation. Luke 19, 38. They were saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke these thy disciples. Why? Because they're claiming you to be something you're not. And he says, Oh, yes, I am. 
I am he. And if you would have known the scriptures, you would have known that this is me. And he said unto them, if I would do that, I'll tell you this. That the very stones and rocks that are here would start crying out and telling you who I am. They would be immediately shouting it out. And I heard someone say the other day that that would have been the first rock concert. Whenever the rocks started singing, that, he said, why didn't you let them just go on and start singing? But anyway, they refused to believe. You, you, they got no business saying this about you. Jesus said, oh, yes, it was. So look at verse 41. So when he came near the city, he beheld the city, Jerusalem, just as God said he would. And he wept over it. Why? Because they wasn't seeing that he was the Messiah. They didn't know. And listen to what Jesus says when he weeps over it in verse 42 saying, If thou hadst known. You see why Bible doctrine is the most important thing in the world to you? To come and together and to study, to study at home, to learn. Because if thou hadst known. All of them missed the boat. And what's going to happen is that the city in 40 more years is going to be destroyed totally. And so will their sons and daughters and everyone else. And it's all because they didn't know. And what did Nehemiah and what did Daniel, what did the angel Gabriel say? Know this and understand it for your good. I'm going to give you something that will give you skill in understanding this. And they refused to do it. No one had time to study the word of God. Oh, I'll get to that one day. Jesus weeps over the city because it could have been so much different. And he says, if thou hadst known, even thou in this, what? Thy day. You see, this was day 173,000. 880 from the moment the decree from Artaxerxes the king went out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And he says from the moment of that decree until the revealing of Messiah the king will be 69 sevens, 483 years, 173,880 days. And then he's going to be cut off for your good. How many times before this very moment, whenever they tried to make him king or say he was king, he would say, not yet for my time is not yet. It wasn't time. Why? Because there was a specific day that God had told him that he was coming. And that day isn't here yet, but that day came today. And when he came, they didn't see it. And so he weeps over the city for what might have been. And he said, if you would have just known that at least in this, thy day, this thy day, that I was coming as your Messiah, bringing salvation. But they refused, and three days after that, they cut him off. They crucified him on the cross, just as the prophet had said that they were going to do. If only you had known this thy day, verse 42. That these things would have come. But look at verse 43 and 44. Because and verse end of verse 42. If you would have known in this thy day. The things which belong unto thy peace. 
But now they are hid from thine eyes because you don't want to see. That's why I prayed for us to have ears to hear and eyes to see what the word of God has to say. For the days shall come since your eyes are hid from the fact that I'm your Messiah. That thine enemies shall cast a trance about you. They will compass round about. They will keep thee on every side and they will lay thee to the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The time that Messiah the King would ride in upon the foal to be presented as the Messiah of peace. Well, as our praise team comes up and we get ready to close the message out and take it home with us, this lesson is yours. God worked on my heart so hard this week. I pray that I did the Lord and the Holy Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit worked through this to help your heart of understanding and knowledge to realize it too. That so that we might believe God told us in his word the exact day, the exact way that his son would come so that we might believe in him and have everlasting life in the Messiah. He fulfilled every portion of his word. Jesus said not one jot or one tittle will be left uncompleted and unfulfilled. I will fulfill it all. And that was that day he fulfilled those things. So I ask you today, have you listened? Have you obeyed? Have you heard what he has? Has the word of God and the Holy Spirit worked upon your heart this morning enough to know that you can believe without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God? I hope so. I hope you leave here with a renewed faith like you've never had before as you go out these doors. And I pray that it stays with you throughout your life. And if you're here and the Holy Spirit also worked on your heart, that I haven't obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine whereby I must be saved. I'm going to write it to you. Up here what the word of God was. Go ahead and give me that last slide, Miss T. Thank you. Mark 16, 11 through 16. Christ is resurrected. They, they failed to recognize who he was when he went to the cross, when he came into the city as the Savior, the Messiah. Now he's risen, and a few of their, the ones that had seemed like Mary Magdalene in the garden We'll talk about probably next week. Lord willing. They said I have seen him. He is risen. He's alive. And it says that they refused to believe him. Look at verse 11. And they when they heard that he was alive. And that he had been seen by her. They believed not. And after that. He appeared in another form unto two of them. As they walked and went into the country. And when they came and told it unto the residue, and that means the other disciples who hadn't been there, neither believed they them. So afterward, Jesus had to come to them himself. And he appeared unto the eleven as they were sitting down together to eat. And he upbraided them because of their unbelief. So you know what? If that's been you, if that was me for a long time, that's what human nature is, is to not believe. But the word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit changes your heart and changes your sight. And so I pray that that's happening and working on us today because now he, he got on to them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they hadn't believed when he said that he had risen. And he said unto them, I want you to believe now. Today's the day of salvation. Go ye into all the world and preach this gospel of good news to every creature. 
He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. And after today's lesson, I truly hope that you believe and you can confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all of your heart. And if you need to follow those directions and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins in faith and what we have learned, please come forward and make that known today. We've got clothes in the back. We've got towels. You won't leave here wet, but you will leave here rejoicing, spinning around because today your Messiah comes. And Father, I sure hope and I pray that the heavy burden of the word of the Lord is weighing heavily upon the hearts this day and especially those who have never named you. I pray that this day you will give them the courage, the spunk, the ability to say, I believe in Jesus. I want to be saved. I don't want to be condemned. And that they will come and recognize you on this day as the Messiah. And Father, I pray that we take this burden of the word of the Lord to everyone that we know that does not know you. So that they might be saved. Because there's going to come a day. Just like in their day. And Jesus told them. That because of unbelief. Man the place is going to get destroyed. You're going to lose your sons and your daughters. Father we don't want that to happen to no one. So I pray. That we respond to your word in a positive way this day. In Jesus name. And we thank you for him. And for your word. Amen.